Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on that field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and came to people that you do not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Hello, welcome, and happy Mother's Day, ladies. Happy International Women's Day for the Monday just gone. My name is Holly. I lead the Women's Ministry here at Chapel, and it is so nice to see some of those women. Literally, oh, I'm being told to alter my mic. There we go. Is that better? Um, I warned her that I do have quite a propensity to project very loudly. Um, but yes, it's so nice to have some of these women even here um, this morning and to see children in church again. It's amazing. So special. Um, as we start this message, I want to speak um, specifically to the mums just initially, to all parents really, because whilst this year has had many joys for us, it's been a really tough year to be a parent. And it's not just been the logistical difficulties of challenging homeschooling or working from home with toddlers around you or doing both of those at the same time, um, being stuck inside. It's also just been the, the heaviness, I have felt at least, of trying to shepherd my children through that season, of trying to help them process their emotions when, to be honest, I've struggled to deal with my own. 
Some of you, you have traveled through pregnancy and the hazy newborn days, and you haven't had that same support and joy that comes from wider community and wider family. You have been trying to explain to young children the why when all the rules kept changing and encourage the older ones to hold on to hope when our timescales just kept getting longer and longer. You've been trying to create a sense of security from uncertainty and you have been trying to keep that fun alive when actually, let's be honest, every day's kind of felt the same. I was speaking uh, this week, we sent our children back to school, schools reopened, that was wonderful. And I was speaking to some of the mums as we were dropping off our kids and one mum was speaking to me and she's had several COVID related hits and she said, I feel like I'm almost suffering symptoms of PTSD. She said, I just feel shell shocked from this year. And we want to say to you today on Mother's Day that we see you and we celebrate you and you may not have a national clap, but we see your contribution as weighty. And though popular culture may often tell you that your parenting is just an add-on, or perhaps even quite boring, actually, it's beautiful and extremely valuable. James Bijon, a researcher at Tyndaldale House in Cambridge, he has some really interesting things to say about the Old Testament text. We'll come back to him later on this message again. And he describes the book of Ruth as being a story about the importance of what may not seem important. See, the book of Ruth is for all of us today because all of us collectively are on a really similar journey to Ruth and Naomi. Two women who were in a shattered place of economic, emotional, and relational loss and uncertainty. And they're trying to rebuild their lives. And we all kind of face a very similar situation. We all have a similar place of rebuilding that lies ahead for us. We have to rebuild our fellowship and our friendships that have been stretched by social restrictions. We need to rebuild our kids' education. We need to rebuild physical church fellowship, which we're starting to do here today. We need to rebuild our emotional well-being. We need to rebuild, uh, for some of us, our careers and our financial standings. See, we, like them, have this challenge to trust in the providence and the kindness of God to help us rebuild. We all place, stand in this place of shattered uncertainty, and we need to move beyond the place of distress or anger, and maybe even bitterness, and to walk in and work out hope. The book of Ruth speaks kindness. It speaks kindness in fellowship and in community and marriage and in redemption and the rebuilding of lives. It is in the kindness of God, in our kindness to each other, that we will rebuild the strongest. As we look at the book, I want to read to you the words from Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 32, 10 to 12. And I want us to have these words in mind as we look through the whole of this book. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. 
We're going to come back to that verse at the end of this message. But before we delve into this message, we are going to start by watching a very short video, because whilst this book is short, it's a bit complicated. So we're all going to get up to speed with the storyline. God's story, Ruth. So part of God's story is about a woman named Ruth, and it begins like this. Ruth lived in a place called Moab and was married to a guy who was part of God's special family, the Israelites. A few years later, though, Ruth's husband died. Instead of returning to her family, which would have been expected, she stayed with Naomi, her husband's mom. Naomi tried to get Ruth to go back to her family in Moab, but Ruth wouldn't leave Naomi, no matter what. In fact, she wanted to go back to Israel with her. Ruth said, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So they both returned to Naomi's home in Bethlehem. Back then, though, it was hard for women to find work. Usually, they had to be taken care of by their husband or a dad. It's really hard to imagine that now, but Naomi and Ruth might not have even known how they'd survive. At first, to get food, Ruth went to the fields of a man named Boaz and followed his harvesters around. If they dropped anything, even just a piece of grain, she picked it up. This was called gleaning. Ruth worked from morning to night and barely even took a break. Boaz noticed. He told his workers to leave behind some extra grain for her to gather. When Naomi heard about this, she was overjoyed because Boaz was Naomi's relative and what's called a family redeemer. That meant that it was his responsibility to take care of his family. If anybody was going to rescue Ruth and Naomi, it was Boaz. Kids, we have a redeemer too. It's Jesus. He's the one who saves us. Anyway, this gave Naomi an idea. She told Ruth to put on her best clothes and perfume and then go to the place where Boaz was sleeping. Naomi said that once Boaz had gone to sleep, Ruth should lay down by his feet. Now, this may sound like a weird plan, but it was actually really brave. Ruth trusted Naomi and obeyed. When Boaz woke up, he was surprised. After all, someone was lying at his feet. That's not exactly a normal night. When Boaz asked who Ruth was, she said, I am your servant. You are my family redeemer. Now Boaz understood. Ruth wanted Boaz to marry her so that she and Naomi would both be taken care of. Boaz agreed. This was a huge deal. Ruth wasn't an Israelite, but she wanted to follow God anyway. By marrying Boaz, she got to officially be part of God's family. In fact, Ruth's great-grandson was King David, and many, many years later, Jesus, the rescuer, was born into the same family line. Now, because of Jesus, we get to be a part of God's family too. Quite scary behind the scenes, I have to say. And I spoke about Queen Esther and about the seemingly often hidden but powerfully present kind of providence of God that was at work over all of history. And today we're looking at the book of Ruth. We're looking at two near destitute widows in a farming community. Because our God is the one who leaves the 99 to go find just the one that is lost. Because our God chooses a shepherd to be king and he chooses disciples from fishermen. Because he doesn't differentiate between those who are important and unimportant. He just sees us all as loved. 
and because all of history doesn't just mean the big grand stuff. Now the book of Ruth, the opening scene of the book of Ruth is one of suffering and lament. Now I'm not going to go into a theology of suffering this morning. Howard and others, they've done that before. There isn't space for it today. But economic, emotional, and relational suffering is the starting point for Ruth and Naomi in this book, and it's key to their growth. The beginning of the Ruth tells us it is set in the days when the judges ruled, which is about 750 years before Jesus came. It's a time when people did what was right in their own eyes, Judges 21-25 tells us. These are dark days for Israel. They have turned their back on God, and you get the feeling that this famine that hits Bethlehem is, as is often the case in the Old Testament, a sign of God's judgment on his people. Enter Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their sons. And they decide that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And so they leave for an easier path. In other words, they are no different to the rest of the Israelites. They don't trust God to provide, and they go to Moab. They go to a pagan nation that, that worships a false god who demands human sacrifice. I wonder if you've been ever tempted to think that the grass is greener on the other side. Now, I know I struggle with that sometimes. If you're tempted to skip over what God's doing in the here and now in order to seek out an easier path. But the suffering, it seems to have had a purpose because it follows Naomi, because God is still God in Moab. Moab. And... Elimelech and the sons, they die anyway. Meanwhile, God comes to the aid of the Israelites and he provides food back in Bethlehem. And the suffering that Naomi experiences, it's key to her maturity and growth, which sounds really odd to us now, but hopefully you'll see it as we go through this message. And it wakes her up to her folly and it forces her to confront her disobedience and to return home. Partway there, Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, go back, go back. She tries to persuade them to go back to Moab. She paints this really honestly bleak future ahead for them if they come with her. But Ruth, Ruth refuses. She clings to Naomi, and she utters these really beautiful words. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She makes a commitment to Naomi, possibly even more radical than marriage. She will never return home, even if Naomi dies. Why? Because the worship of Yahweh is at stake. Moab is not where you want to be if you want to love and worship Yahweh. Suffering has forced Ruth to this crossroads experience, and she has to choose between two gods, Chemosh in Moab or Yahweh in Bethlehem. I wonder if you face a crossroads experience. Are you being asked to choose between God or some other false idol you have in your mind? Well, Ruth has come to know God through a season of hardship, and that's given her a freedom to choose his will. See, she's released from the temptations that we struggle with of comfort and pleasing other people. And it's instilled in her a real heart of compassion and service, a character that's so beautiful it will catch Boaz's eye later on. 
How has Ruth learned about Yahweh? How has she learned such radical faith? Well, she's learned it through watching Naomi and through watching Naomi cling to faith through her suffering. That might sound odd initially to you. I'm going to read to you two, um, two phrases that Naomi says at the start of the book. She says, No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitterness, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means delight, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? Now, I really like Naomi, because she's kind of returned home to her people, and she feels empty, and she's desperate, and she's full of regret, and she just kind of lets it all hang out, like there's no polite holding it back in. It's all out there for everyone to see, for God to see. She is crazily honest about how she's feeling and her words when we read them they feel almost wrong they feel shockingly self-absorbed and impolite and it's because i would put to you that here in this culture we have forgotten how to mourn because we have these amazing advances in technology and in med medicine, and we have this social benefit system which has massive, massive flaws, but is so much more than many other places in the world. And it allows us to hold intense suffering further away for longer. And so we've forgotten, we're out of practice of lamenting. And so when we read it, when we see it, we are tempted to see it as the absence of God rather than the contending of our pain with the one whom we know has the answers. One commentator writes, Laments are a refusal to settle for the way things are. They are acts of relentless hope that believes no situation falls outside Yahweh's capacity for transformation. No situation falls outside of Yahweh's responsibility. God wants us to open up to him. When did you last let the steam out of the kettle with him? Naomi uses three different words in verses 8 to 21 to describe God. And that's really helpful. It provides a framework which she places her pain within, which is helpful for us when we think about lamenting. And the first of those is in verse 8, kindly, may the Lord deal kindly with you. She trusts in the love of God. The original word is hased. It is used throughout the book. And in the Bible, it's really key to describing God's covenant relationship with his people. It means a steadfast love, a loyal, loving kindness. The second word is the Lord or Yahweh. It means the one true God. And the third word is God Almighty, which is translated from El Shaddai, meaning the mountain one. It speaks of God's trustworthiness. It speaks of his protection in times of uncertainty. See, Naomi, she's not returning home out of necessity, at least not just out of necessity. She is clinging on to her faith. And these words show us even more importantly how God is clinging on to her. She's clinging on to these handholds that God's given her of his faithfulness. Suffering doesn't turn Naomi away from God. It draws her in all the more closely. But yes, she is angry. It's very clear. And she is distressed. But never once does she doubt who is in control. 
Oh, my son, his ears may pick up at the back now. When I say to him that he cannot have chocolate, there is a lot of lamenting that goes on in that little heart. It's very painful. And he might get angry or he might sulk, but at no point does he ever doubt who is in control of that chocolate. Now, he will go away and he will have his lament and then he will come back still without chocolate and he'll want a little cuddle. Now, he doesn't understand why I made that decision, why that was for his good. But what he does understand is that I, his mummy, am for his good. And that though he doesn't understand, that my love and care for him never wavers. As we look back on the shattering and the difficulty since early 2020, I can't give you neat answers this morning, but I can give you a framework to lament within, a framework of God's kindness to you, because we are all sons or daughters of the one true God who has covenanted to love us with a steadfast love and to be our refuge in times of trouble. And he is always outworking his purposes. The paradox in this life is learning to hold that truth in one hand and our experiences of suffering in the other until eternity. As Jen Pollock Michelle puts in her book, Surprised by Paradox, when Christians lament, they also rehearse a story. A story of God's breakable body and the power that put it back together again. If God's body broke, the resurrection stakes this bold claim. Laments will have no last word. Brokenness is a middle act, not the final scene. The middle act of this book is saturated with kindness and God's grace through the providence to bring about events for the good of Ruth and Naomi. It shows God's care for our personal needs and how he often provides for those using other people. We see Naomi kind of progress through her grief to being a, this wonderful discipling woman who helps and mentors and guides Ruth through this new and unfamiliar land. Ruth is described by Boaz as a worthy woman in chapter 311. And this is meant to hyperlink us to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 31, this perfect woman that no woman ever wants to be compared with, especially on Mother's Day. At least that's where my kind of insecure mind goes to. I never wanted to preach on Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day. But this Hebrew phrase, worthy woman, it's the same phrase used in an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. We're meant to see Ruth as an embodiment or at least a shadow of this hypothetical Proverbs 31 woman. Now, Proverbs 31 is an acrostic summary poem. It brings together all of Proverbs into this woman of noble character, the perfect bride of Christ that we're all meant to be being transformed into. Ruth, who is a hard worker, Ruth, who dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong, who doesn't eat the bread of idleness, for whom strength and dignity are her clothing in the face of difficulty. Ruth, who opens her mouth with wisdom as she speaks guidance from uh, Naomi and as she approaches Boaz, for whom kindness isn't just on her tongue, it's in her actions and in her loyalty to Naomi. Ruth needn't have stayed with Naomi, but she did. She showed extraordinary kindness in working hard to glean for them both. 
Ruth needn't have married a relative of Naomi. She needn't have married Boaz. As Boaz points out in chapter 3, she could have sought a younger, maybe even a richer younger husband. Um, We're wrong if we think that Ruth was undesirable, but by choosing to marry a relative of Naomi's, a kinsman redeemer who under the law could continue Elimelech's family name, she could secure a future and protection and provision for Naomi as well as herself, which wouldn't have been guaranteed under another marriage. See, a kinsman redeemer was meant out of covenant loyalty to the community to redeem and provide for a widow of his relative. And we have to remember this is a time when women could really not easily provide for themselves at all. So this was a really important provision. Ruth shows kindness in putting the continuation of Ruth of Naomi and Eliminex's name, which was really important back then, ahead of the creation of her own. Why does she do it? Well, Proverbs 31.30 helps us. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Ruth has a right fear of the Lord, and she remembers the love and mercy that she has received from him. It is a clean fear that we can delight in that chases away all other unclean, scary fears. See, God provides for Naomi's needs through the kindness of her daughter-in-law. Howard and I have been going through recently the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. I think it needs a shorter name, but it's very good. It's by Peter Skesro. I recommend it. And at the end of one of the sessions, it encouraged us to think about what do we need to put off in order to pursue a more healthy emotional spirituality, you know where I'm going, that thing. And, um, and I had a bit of a mind blank, and so I said to Howard, oh, I don't know, what do you think I should put off? And he said, I tell you, without hesitating, but in a nice voice, the superwoman can do everything mask. Now, it's annoying it's so obvious, but it is right. I feel so privileged to live in this a time in history when women have so much freedom but it comes with an enormous pressure to do everything and to do it really well. And I think that's often a pressure we actually put on each other as women too. And as women, sometimes we find ourselves in arenas which are more commonly run by men, and that has a pressure not just to do things well for our own reputation, but for kind of all of womankind as well. Like, if I mess this up, are they going to be more cautious about a man, or a woman rather, in the future? I, was, um, I made the decision to volunteer for voluntary redundancy from my job recently. And as I was kind of grappling with that decision with Howard, I admitted to him I felt this kind of sense of failure at letting other women down that I couldn't juggle everything. Even though that decision was actually about prioritizing things that I felt called to do. And then we also, we have this habit of pedestalling people, don't we? We put all our hopes and dreams on this one person, only to be disappointed when they then just crumble under that pressure. And we discover that they were never as perfect as we thought that they were. See, we praise beauty and intellect and accomplishments. When did you last praise someone for their fear of the Lord? God is not after independent men or women doing it for themselves. He's after men and women who are dependent on him and devoted to his work. It is dependency on God that will help us rebuild after lament. It's not through striving or proving. 
But Proverbs 31, it doesn't end there. It ends with, give her the fruit of her hands. Let her works be praised in the gates. The fruit of Ruth's hands with generosity and kindness. And we see her receive that fruit back through the provision of Boaz. Now, there's a lot of references to the law in the book of Ruth. For example, even the gleaning, like they were meant to leave edges of the harvest for people to glean from, the kingsman redeemer role. It can be tempting to read this book and just see it as the kind of fulfillment of duty. But Boaz, he doesn't just fulfill the law. It's not just a duty for him. He fulfills its spirit too. He embodies the care and the devotion and the love, especially for those who are in need. See, the law was meant to create in the people of Israel a pattern of life that reflected God's nature. And we see that in Ruth and Naomi. Boaz didn't just let Naomi glean. He got his workers to throw out a load of extra corn and barley and grain for her to collect. He invited her to come and eat with his workers until she was full and there was leftovers. He sent her home with an epithet of barley. Now, that's about two weeks' worth supply for two women. It's really generous. And Boaz, he's not just a kingsman redeemer. He's kind and he loves Naomi. Uh, Ruth, rather. That would be weird if it was Naomi. Ruth. He loves Ruth. Ruth is not just going to be provided for by Boaz. He, she is going to be cherished and adored. See, God's not just providing for her economically here. He's providing for her emotional and relational needs too. Do we sometimes have too small a view of God's goodness and mercy when we read these texts. Now Ruth, Naomi and Boaz, they rebuild as husband, wife and mother-in-law, they rebuild a life together. They rebuild out of hard work and kindness and a right fear of the Lord. Like us now, they didn't necessarily know where their future was heading. They were just courageously faithful with each step along the way. And I think as we look ahead at this season of rebuilding that not really sure or clear about where it's going, we need to follow their example. Just be courageously faithful with each step along the way. Let our family, I'd love for our family at at Westminster Chapel to be the embodiment of a pattern of life that reflects God's nature. Let's be a church that's full of grace and kindness and steadfastness and compassion and generosity. Who needs your mentoring guidance? Who needs your companionship? Who needs to know that their shame doesn't withhold them from our community? Who needs to be welcomed back in? Who needs provision that only you can provide? Well, we get to the final scene. The final scene of the book of Ruth is God's victory over all of history. We started in a place of lament and suffering and we finished with redemption and rejoicing. Because Boaz and Ruth, they get married and they have baby Obed. Obed, whose line leads to David, whose line leads to Jesus. Naomi has been redeemed. She returned full of shame and now she can rejoice as she lays baby Obed on her lap. She is finally in a place of economic, relational and emotional stability and flourishing. She returned in bitterness and now she can rejoice. 
See, the book ends with 10 names in the genealogy. That is one name for every year that she spent outside of Israel. It is a picture of God's providence and his kindness over all of history, past, present, and future. And I first just want to look back. James Bijon, we mentioned him earlier. He's really helpful in helping us to see that Boaz and Ruth came from quite a checkered ancestral history, that both had very dysfunctional and wrong uses of the Kingsman Redeemer role. The first of these is in Genesis 19, when after Lot's son-in-laws die, his daughter conceals herself to have a child with him, which begins the Moabite nation that Ruth comes from. Boaz is a descendant of Tamar, which in chapter, Genesis chapter 38, she, Tamar tricks her father-in-law to have a child with her after he refuses to let one of his sons be a kingsman redeemer for her. Now, both these stories should turn our stomachs. They are awful. We should not feel good about these stories. And the book of Ruth, it has lexical and factual connections with both of these that are meant to get us nervous, especially as we get to this nighttime encounter with Boaz and Ruth. We're meant to feel a sense of deja vu. What is going to happen here? But we find this worthy woman has met a worthy man. And through God's kindness, they have the opportunity to redeem their own histories as well and to embody the love and kindness that the Kingsman Redeemer role was always meant to serve. And Boaz does that with great joy. See, after reading the book of Judges, we could be tempted to write off all of this period of Israel's history, the kind of all the abuse and the godless leaders, but God always makes a way for his purposes to continue. Perhaps you feel tempted sometimes to write off 2020 or 2021 that we're in now. I mean, we're in this secular culture. We are so separated with social restrictions. Is there really any meaningful connections that are happening definitely with new people? How can the gospel do anything in this time? But God, God cannot be and will not be bound or limited. He always makes a way for his purposes to continue. And here we see how he rectifies the failures of these men of Judah and Lot, these notable men, through just the ordinary faithfulness of two fairly insignificant people. And Ruth, she gets to become part of the most important family line in all of history. Like Boaz's mum, Rahab, she has truly chosen God and he's fully welcomed her into his family. But Boaz wasn't the only kingsman to come out of Bethlehem. Another one comes generations later. Another seemingly insignificant figure to the rest of the world. And he fully embodies the law and, and the spirit of the law too. And he comes to redeem God's most beloved bride, the church. He doesn't win her hand at the gates. He wins it at the cross. And the cost of that redemption is his life. See, Boaz, for all his kindness, is just a shadow of the steadfast love that Jesus has for you. In his resurrected body, having won victory over sin and death, he is there and he is next door to the Father interceding for all of us. And he's inviting you to choose him. He is inviting you to see him even now. 
See, the final act in God's story, it's always redemption for believers. It's always joy for those who choose him. It's, he is this God of all of history. He is the God over the kings and the farmers, over the CEOs and the Amazon delivery guys in times of darkness and in times of faithfulness. One day, this middle act that we're in now will come to an end and Jesus will return to come and claim his most beloved bride, the church. And when that time comes, to alter the words of of Ruth in, in chapter four, will you stand alongside me and say, blessed be the Lord who has not left me without a redeemer. That's kind of wrap up let's how do we rebuild like Ruth and Naomi how do we move past anxiety and uncertainty well firstly we do it by lamenting by bringing our true selves before God in repentance for sin and in grief at loss remembering that difficulty is never wasted time and God is never absent in the words of Ellen Davis by lamenting you are beginning to clear the way for praise secondly by grace and kindness. Kindness and grace that we recognize being shown to us from God and showing that to others too through a right fear of the Lord. Remembering we're not pawns under the control of this providence, but rather through relationship with God, we are released into purpose. We are part of the solution. And thirdly, by remembering that the future is bright. Those who believe in Jesus have this beautiful future ahead of us that's certain and secure in eternity. And it should give us hope to keep persevering. Maybe today you are a Naomi. You are full of disappointment, of sadness, of anger. Maybe you are a Ruth. God is a new relationship for you. Maybe it's not even that yet. And God's saying, will you rebuild with me? Choose me. I want you and I love you. As we finish, I want to go back to Deuteronomy 32, 10 to 12. And I'm going to read those words again. And as I do so, whether you're Ruth or Naomi or a neither, I want you to imagine your wilderness, whatever that is. Perhaps it's regret, it's guilt, perhaps it's loneliness or exhaustion, disappointment at where life is at, uncertainty, anxiety about the future, wherever you're at. I want you to listen to these words, perhaps close your eyes if you can do that, if you don't have kids crawling all over you, and just imagine the mighty and powerful Yahweh there with you, encircling, caring, catching, bearing, guiding. He's already in your wilderness. I want you to see him there with you, to cry out, know that you are heard, and to choose to rebuild with him. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him and cared for him, He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. Lord, I thank you that you are with us. 
always. Thank you that your spirit is at work. And Lord, I pray for those who feel like a Ruth, that they are at a crossroads. Lord, I pray that they would choose you and find love and life and joy. Lord, I pray for those of us who are a Naomi, who are struggling in our own form of wilderness. Lord, help us to lament and to rebuild with you. Lord, I pray that you would bring hope to our disappointment, bring joy to our sadness and peace to our anger, Lord. You alone are our refuge. Thank you, Jesus. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.